Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Hey everybody, welcome back to Hashing It Out. I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty, with my host, Colin Couchet. Say hello, everybody, Colin. Hello, everybody, Colin. Today, we are going to be talking about Grin. Yes, Grin. It is a blockchain project. Uh, we have Michael Cordner, a seasoned Grin developer for quite a long time since the beginning of the project, and David Burkett, who built Grin++. I would also consider a seasoned Grin developer. Uh, guys, why don't you all start us off by kind of introducing yourself? Uh, Michael, why don't you go first? Yeah, sure. So as you said, my name is Michael Cordner. I go by the, the handle of Yeast Plume and a big Commodore 64 logo we were just talking about um, on the project. So yeah, I've, I've been at about not quite since the beginning of the project, but um, I'd say maybe five or six months into after the kind of initial code appeared um, in GitHub put there by um, or the project founder, Ignotus. Um, and I mean, since then, my, my work has mostly been uh, as a full-time developer on the project of the last, say, year or so, mostly focused on kind of the wallet. Um, so yeah, so that's that's me. And then I'm David Burkett. Uh, like like mentioned, uh, I worked. I uh, built Grin Plus Plus. It's uh, alternative node and wallet, um, completely uh, not based on the the core code. It's written in C plus plus, a different language. Um, and I've been working on the project, contributing in various ways for about a year and a half now. I started about uh, five or six months before lunch. Awesome. So uh, let's let's do the, the general recap. I'm sure some of our listeners are not aware of what Grin is. Um, can you kind of talk about the high-level architecture of what Grin is and how it differentiates itself from other projects? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the most, I'll start off with the most basic. So whereas... Uh, Grin is based on uh, something called the Mimblewimble protocol, which uh, seems like kind of like a normal word to us. We've been working with it for so long, <laughs> but for, for anyone anyone coming into this fresh, it's a Harry Potter term. Um, it's it's uh, it was the name of a tongue tying spell, so that ties into the kind of privacy aspects of the chain um, at, at a very very basic high level. Um, so, for instance, when you have uh, a Bitcoin transaction or you you sync up a Bitcoin chain, you need to go through the entire chain history, authenticating and verifying each transaction all the way back to the Genesis block one by one in order to validate it. With a Mimblewimble chain, you you only need to kind of validate the sums instead. And um, that's done through a, math, a, a kind of a mathematical process. And we'll probably get into that uh, a deeper a little bit later on. But what this basically gives you are two, two kind of main big advantages over a kind of more traditional blockchain formats. So the first one would be uh, privacy, because um, from just looking at the chain data itself, or the say the UTXO set, you should not re be able to tell anything about the amounts or the the particular the users who put the transactions onto there. There's there's kind of addresses 
that are generated by a wallet, but it's hard just if you're just looking at the, the chain data alone to link that to any individual accounts, so to speak. The second it, um, feature it gives you is scalability, is that you don't need as much data to do an initial sync. You don't need as much data to store as much data in the in the the chain data set um, in order to to use and uh, join the the Grin network. And yeah, I mean, at a very, very, very basic high level, that would be what Grin is about. Yeah, just to add a little more. Um, so that, that's that's what Mimblewimble is about. Uh, and Grin uh, yeah. is you know an implementation of Mimblewimble, uh, completely fair launch, decentralized project uh, created by pseudonymous founder. Um, after Mimblewimble was posted by a, a different uh, pseudonymous author. Um, but yeah, there's there's no pre-mine. It's completely fair launch. It's you know no dev tax or anything like that. So it's a pretty cool project. With so much with such privacy, how do you know that it's that fair? Um, uh, like you mean not being able to see like rich lists and stuff? Like yeah, is, is that what you're asking? Okay. If you well, you I mean, know that everybody the... has a fair chance. Everybody has a fair chance to acquire coins. There's no, there's. Uh, you know, no one person who has a significant advantage over anyone else, uh, as long as you've heard of the project, which, you know, it, it had been known for several years before actually launching, um, as, as long as you've got access to basic hardware, uh, maybe, you know, a, a slightly newer GPU or, you know, willing to buy from exchange, you can acquire coins pretty easily. Um, yeah, so uh, it's... It's not necessarily distributed, you know, very in a share manner. Like that, there may be someone who owns a decent amount of them. I doubt it, but um, like you can't really know. It's a private coin, like you yeah. said. But uh, everybody had a fair chance at acquiring those coins. Much like the like the original blockchain, it was just whoever was around first got the fair distribution based on their effort. Right, yeah, but back yeah. then there, it wasn't well known, right? So yeah. there's just you know, a much smaller a people, yeah. uh, market. There, there were way, you know, the launch of Grin was uh, known about for years, and it was very anticipated. Like the launch date, I don't had, I don't know how many uh, thousands of different GPUs mining against it. Like it, you know, every, everybody had a much greater chance of getting in early on Grin. Yeah, so, I mean, so, I mean the. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, the, the, not to confuse like two different concepts of fairness and privacy. So I mean, the, the privacy enhancing features kind of inherent to Mimblewimble are one thing, but the, the Grin coin and the Grin project itself, as David was, was pointing out, um, is, is very much kind of operates under a principle of trying to be as fair as possible. Um, so I mean, the, the for instance, like it's a completely open source coin. Um, there's a development fund, you know, I'm paid from it. Some, you know, some people are paid out of it. But there's no kind of backing corporation or group of investors expecting a return like you'd see in many many other coins, which means that kind of the decision making can be can be can be very long term. Um, it can be uh, you know not not always perfect, but at least try to be more inclusive of the community as well. So I, th I think the the principle of fairness, or at least the goal of of fairness, is is definitely a a driving one in the Grin project. So a lot of our um, our audience comes from various backgrounds, and and we have a, a pretty good set of people specifically in the Bitcoin space. And the history of how like Mimblewimble came to be, um, from my understanding, is that uh, it's based off of Greg's um, Greg Maxwell's um, 
CoinJoin. Could you kind of go to how like the history started, what CoinJoin is, how we got to like the cut through start? Like, can you tell me about like how the evolution came so that it wound up being Mimblewibble? Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure I'd agree that CoinJoin was the basis for it. The, the, the real basis, I think, would be the confidential transactions paper. But again, this is by Greg Maxwell and Adam Back, I believe. Um, and the, the, the original, the confidential transactions paper, um, it, it kind of got us a part of the way um, as far as being able to, to create a transaction, um, add outputs into a transaction, and have them completely, the, the amounts concealed. Um, the the Mimble Wimble paper itself that came along um, a little while after that, based on that, actually added the kind of Mimble Wimble concept to it, which was a method of of putting these transactions together and summing them in such a way that you could also prove ownership through something called an excess value. So I'd I'd, I'd argue that that's that's really where where the foundations of, of Mimble Wimble comes from. And the author of the paper, uh, pseudonym Tom Elvis Yegister, he uh, he actually refers to um, confidential transactions, coin join, and, and a couple other things. So um, according to him, it's like built on four different technologies, I believe, yeah. or three at least. So yeah, there's no, I, I agree that confidential transactions probably is the, the bigger part of it. Um, but he does he does at least refer to coin joins and a few other things. So Okay, so I want to build my own version of Mimblewimble. Where do I start? What is what is the What are the four core technologies? How do they work? And, and how do they all combine together to build um, something like Grin. Yeah. Uh, so, so CoinJoin, as you mentioned, uh, the way it works um, is basically um, you can have a bunch of parties come together uh, and decide to build one big transaction. So normally your transactions have inputs and outputs. And typically um, all of the inputs would be owned by the same person. Uh, and then in a standard transaction, they're say, two outputs. Uh, one would be you know, to whoever you're sending to, and then the other would be your change. Uh, so that's pretty terrible for privacy because you can basically follow coins along and, and people have done that. And there's- A lot of chain analysis. Companies, yeah, companies that, you know, their whole business model is this. Uh, so what coin joins do is they, um, instead of having these small transactions with inputs by the same owner, uh, you actually, um, use some kind of centralized coordinator where uh, you would um, you would give your inputs uh, and everybody would give their inputs and then after that everybody would then give their outputs and everything has to sum up correctly but you end up with one transaction with you know inputs from multiple different parties and then outputs to multiple different other parties um, and so that you lose some of the uh, original links back to the um, you, you lose kind of which person is sending which coins to who. Um, so it, it's a privacy thing. And uh, like Wasabi Wallet imp, uh, implements it now and Bitcoin and, and a few others. But uh, the big problem with CoinJoin outside of Mimblewimble is um, the amounts are still transparent. Uh, so um, you have to actually agree on an amount that, of each output. So each output or, or each, uh, I think it's each maybe input has to be, or no, I think it's that each output has to be, let's say one Bitcoin, for example. So then um, you have to, everybody has to send their out, send their coins in, in one Bitcoin uh, amounts or else 
uh, one Bitcoin increments, or else you can easily find the original yeah. link. Because let's say you know there's 50 participants, but um, only one of them has an input high and in, you know of input of 0.0003 or something, and you know there's the outputs. You can maybe find some that add up to that amount, or whatever. So you know there, there's just you leak way too much data with all these transparent amounts. So you have to actually agree on a, on a specified increment that you're going to send at in order to kind of obscure the link um, some. But uh, yeah, Mimblewimble uh, improves on that with confidential transactions and stuff. But um, yeah, the, the core component is CoinJoin. And it's also interactive. That's a problem too. You have to actually, um, you have to uh, meet at some kind of some kind of meeting location, some kind of centralized coordinator who has to uh, interact with all the different parties that are building the transaction. Um, so that's you know another big problem with CoinJoin that Mimblewimble solves. Um, so yeah, that's that's core technology one. Uh, Eastbloom, do you want to cover one of the other ones? Okay, so what are they? So we have confidential transactions. We have the kind of CoinJoin-esque process. Uh, properties of Mimblewimble. Um, do we want to talk about proof of work? Just mention that. Well, well there's there's Schnorr, and then there's oh, Cutthroat. Yeah. And Cutthroat yeah, okay. would be, yeah. those are the four that I see as the, the core. Yeah, okay. I that, should yeah, that probably mention that first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so this is another kind of big difference with Mimblewimble um, to other blockchains is that the protocol at a transaction building level is is interactive. And I say interactive in the cryptographic sense in that both parties involved in a transaction need to interact to create the transaction. And the transactions are created, and again, Snore signatures fit in very nicely to this, which is why they're implemented, um, is that uh, both parties, or it, it, we, we just, it, I use the example of, of two parties at the moment, even though you can have as many as you want. So the, the person who's putting in their inputs inputs their inputs in. And then there's those are summed up, um, and then the person who is actually receiving the funds puts creates a new output, puts it into the the transaction, and then there's something in the transaction the kernel called an access value. I'm going to keep that out of out for now, just not not to confuse the example. But basically, what happens is all of the inputs plus all of the outputs in the transaction uh, basically equals zero. Okay. And and that's a kind of a very very basic high level how a, a transaction works there, um, and then each transaction is something that's created um, that we call a transaction kernel, which contains um, an access value and a signature for that access value that's created by summing all the individual signature parts from everybody who put their inputs and outputs into the transaction. So so each party can be involved in a transaction. Um, without necessarily have to reveal any of the private information they use to sign their parts of the transaction. And then at the end of it, you get a combined Schnorr signature that can be used by validators to validate the entire transaction. And that's part of, that, yeah. that's only made possible through like the, the uh, expanded feature set of Schnorr signatures, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, fir yeah. the first version was, it was just using the um, e regular EDSA signatures. Um, uh, and uh, it meant the parties had to reveal their private keys, but Schnorr actually allowed us to put together a really kind of elegant scheme combining Schnorr with, with the Mimblewimble interactivity to create uh, our, our transaction model. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. somebody coming from like a Bitcoin world, they, they just to give an analogy, I mean, you have to 
basically everybody has to sign the same transaction, like the exact same transaction with their private key yeah. directly. Um, can you can you maybe tell how the dynamics of that are a little different for Bitcoiners, uh, a Bitcoiners understanding um, on how signature building happens using these store signatures? Like specifically, what is the feature that ensure that enables you not to need to do that? Um, well, we, we have it because it's additive, right? Because I'm only signing for my, my inputs and outputs in the transaction. So that means I can sign a partial, basically sign a part of the transaction. So it's only my inputs that I put in. Right. So I put in some inputs and a change output. I create a signature that um, it signs for the value that was created by those and inserted into the transaction. On the other side, someone puts in, say, an output, uh, one single output for their money that they're taking out of, or the coins they're taking out of the transaction and just signs for that amount right and then we have kind of an interactive uh, say we we take those two signatures combine them at the end and then we have a signature that will cover the amount of the every all the inputs and outputs that have gone in there right without and as i say i mean that all adds up and then that should be used by validators in order to be able to validate that the way I kind of see this um, is yeah. the, the, the process of including Schnorr and um, kind of the way it all comes together is you've reduced the atomicity of what a transaction is in in the entire blockchain. For example, if you look at like the, the model of Bitcoin, you have um, nodes or miners uh, aggregating transactions of individual people, putting them into blocks and hashing that block. Whereas with something like Bitcoin, people are doing something similar, but they're not just putting it in a block and hashing a block with POW. They're aggregating that signature with Snore, and that signature is the only thing that actually exists in the block. So I think we're a little bit um, inaccurate here. I, okay. there's still there's still each transaction has its own Schnorr signature. So you can't just aggregate all of them together. Okay. Um, I think we might need to take a step back because I think we we glossed over a little too much of confidential transactions, uh, how they work, um, and and like how to go from that to Mimblewimble. So uh, just just to cover those real quick. So uh, confidential transactions, the whole point of them are to to hide the amounts. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, an easy way of doing that is um, you just multiply them by some elliptic curve generator point. So, you know, take G or whatever. Uh, you, or I think eight, let's start with H. So we have H, this just common point that everyone knows, um, and you have your amounts. So if you are sending two inputs with uh, one for one Bitcoin and one for two, um, you would multiply the one times the H and the two times the H and you would add those up and that would give you three Bitcoins or three times H would be your um, your input amount. And then uh, you could send that amount to another person, someone else and create some output for it that's worth three Bitcoins. And that would be um, the amount you would show in the transaction then would be three times H. You wouldn't show the three. So they wouldn't know the inputs of one and two um, and they wouldn't know the output of three. Uh, this has a, a flaw in which you you know there's a limited range of what mm -hmm. these values can be. Uh, so we have to actually add in a blinding factor as well. So it, it's no longer just one plus one times h plus two times h equals three times h like that you have to make sure the balance equation is correct there. but you know you can brute force that to determine what those original values were. So you add in this blinding factor, which can be any you know private key on, SecP256K1, so that any any private key on the curve uh, 
and you multiply it by a different generator, call it G. Um, so then each input would have its own blinding factor. So you would have, for our one Bitcoin input, we could have a blinding factor of, you know, some huge number and then uh, a different blinding factor for the other one. Uh, and, and, you know, you add those all up and then you have to have that same, the combination of those blinding factors. You'd have to, you know, also multiply that by the, the G for the output as well. Uh, so you obscure the amount, but you can still do a basic um, balance formula of, you know, do the amounts of the on the output minus the input amounts. Is that, you know, equal to zero? No new coins were created. Um, and as long as that's true, then it's a valid transaction. And that's how confidential transactions work. And that's, you know, they could be added to Bitcoin uh, with a soft fork today. Um, and, you know, but you still have those links and you, there's no way of pruning there. Um, you, all you do is you, you, you hide the amounts and they actually are kind of large cause they have this range proof involved. Um, so, you know, Mimblewimble takes those, uh, and, and it's all based off that, that same, uh, formula, the inputs, the amounts for the inputs, uh, all have to add up to the same, you know, amounts in the outputs. Uh, and, and it, um, it builds on it farther and, uh, it adds this kernel, which uh, East Plume mentioned, which um, ends up being like a private key. Uh, so it's 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 an additional blinding factor that's not encoded into the inputs and outputs. It's uh, um, I'm trying to think how to explain this. It's it's a way of uh, I, I don't know. Do you do you know how to go about this, East Plume? Um, uh, it's always from, it, from where I went. So it's, it's always it, a challenge. So it's yeah. like. You, you can, instead of having, you know, let's say you have that one, one Bitcoin and two Bitcoin inputs, right? And you have your two blinding factors there. Let's call them seven and 12. Okay, those add up to 19, right? And then you also have, um, you need to make sure that the output has a blinding factor of 19 as well. Um, well, instead, what you do is, is you have this addition, you actually have um, an additional blinding factor here, call it seven. Um, or call it, I guess we already used that. Let's call it 10. Okay. So we have seven and 12, 19, and then 10, right? So we have 29. Um, and we add that in the, uh, the kernel. Um, we add the 10 there. Uh, and then on the other side, you have, it has to equal 29 there. So it's, it's kind of like a, another input there, but it, it's, um, it's, uh, doesn't affect the oh, i'm trying to think i guess it doesn't go in your output then right it's yeah, not really so attached it be, to an input it's, it's yeah it's like an additional thing, thing. so so you, your inputs no longer add up to your outputs then but your inputs um or your inputs do yeah your inputs and your kernel no longer add up to your outputs you have an additional amount there uh and then you kind of like the schnorr signature comes in play there where you sort of sign that you know what the blinding factor of the kernel is um to prove that like um, you were the actual owner of those coins there. So um, to prove that you actually knew what the blinding factor of the kernel was. So then like the, the um, if, if you know, let's say your, your blockchain, you know there should be, it, for Grin, there's 60 coins per block. Uh, and let's say, you know, we have 10 blocks, there should be 600 coins. Well, all the remaining outputs should all add up to 600 times the the um times the age that that elliptic curve point uh 
so we, we know, you know, we want to check that all the outputs add up to that, but they'll have this an additional amount too that'll add up to, which would also be like the sum of all these kernels, which are these like extra blinding factors that we've added on um, to obscure the links. So that, you know, that's what actually obscures the link from input to output. If you didn't have that, you could, you know, easily tie the two together. Um, yeah, it's 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 very confusing without like a, a whiteboard or something. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. I just like throw in like David. I think has done a a good job explaining it there. Um, probably better than I could do. But it, it kind of the first thing that everybody does when kind of learning about Mimblewimble's a new technology is spend about a month trying to figure out the the basic mathematics and work out in their head how it all works together. So for for you know relative to how how Bitcoin works, it is quite complicated and there's there's a few kind of mathematical concept that maybe you know cryptographers will know but kind of the rest of us you know normal developers and such take a little while to learn the language and how it all works together so i definitely encourage anyone who's who's interested to look at kind of the intro that we have on our on our on our site um, that we talk about a bit later that kind of goes over this in detail and has examples of how this all sits together yeah we were yeah. I was, and, I, and it's not sorry it, it, it's not as complicated as it sounds but it, it's definitely like you know, there's just a lot of moving parts. So to yeah. just just kind of listen to something like this and, and and gain how it works. It's not it's not very feasible, but it is. You know, it is something that you can learn. It's it's not. It's just all based on the same the same concepts as Bitcoin. It just adds additional like all these blinding factors and stuff. You just have to you kind of have to slowly add them in and see which one what each one does. Like the kernel is added just to prove ownership of coins. And then from that point on, we have this additional like um, kernel offset or transaction offset that we call it. And that's like obscures the the link from the inputs to the outputs. It's kind of like a privacy thing. Um, so these, it's just a bunch of components that build on top of each other. So, you know, if you, if you take the time and you learn how confidential transactions work, and then you go learn about what this kernel thing is th that can be used to to determine ownership and that's what allows us to prune and things like that and then you know go spend a little more time and and then learn like this offset thing it's just one piece that builds on top of another but you it's know it's really yeah. good yeah. it's first off it's it's modular design it's just fantastic yeah. you only have to yeah. know you can become a special a special expert in one particular area that makes building a team easier it makes finding up the work rate it makes it a good project to build um, it has a lot of uh, testability features surrounding that since everything's specifically surrounding these particular um, components. You can test those co individual components. It's great from a software engineering perspective. It's great from an educational perspective. I like the fact that you guys broke it down into four parts. Um, there's one feature, though, that I, you do kind of like touch on that I'd like to maybe see if you could get a little more into, and that's the size of uh, storage space required for Mimblewimble relative to, say, Bitcoin. Um, you talk about pruning quite a bit. Can you talk about uh, a little more in, in depth about what, what kind of uh, relative gain we're getting uh, out of, mm -hmm. out of uh, uh, you know, grin beam like Mimblewimble coins compared to, say, Bitcoin? Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, like mentioned, it's all based on a ba simple balance uh, equation. All the inputs plus the kernels have to equal the, the outputs. Um, and so because of this, uh, all that really matters is like the UTXOs, because if you spend one output and then you go then spend it, uh, that whoever receives that output then spends it somewhere else. So it becomes an input somewhere else. They end up crossing out, right? They, they cancel each other out. It, since it's just a simple add all of those, um, when you 
you know, when it's in the output, the UTXO set it's added, but then when you spend it again, you subtract that same amount, you subtract the input. So it ends up becoming a simple balance equation. So since the outputs, since anything that's spent then um, uh, cancels out like the previous output, all that really you need to add up is just the UTXO set at that point. Um, so you no longer, in order to fully validate the chain, you actually only need the UTXO set. You don't need all of the outputs ever like Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you have to download every single transaction since history, you know, since the, the Genesis block. Uh, for Grin, you don't, you just need the current unspent outputs. Um, so it ends up freeing up, uh, it, I think Trump says something like a theoretically a 10X, I think it's closer probably to half of that um, is what we likely see after years of usage. So something like um, uh, five times smaller or something, one fifth the size of uh, a Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, but th this also enables us to do something called fast sync, right? Which is not a, an incomplete sync. It's just that because we only need the sum in order to, in order to validate the chain, instead of we can just pick a certain point, say, you know, for example, the past 2000, go 2000 blocks ago and have someone just send me over the UTXO set from there. And then we can, we just need to kind of validate from there. I think that's something that whatever horizon we chose to make sure that, you know, that everyone's view matches. Um, so we, <clears throat> so basically syncing up a new node, you need to download the, the kind of transaction hash set from a certain horizon from someone else and they can send you that over as a zip and then you only really need to validate say the kernels or sorry you need to validate um blocks from there to the current which is you know validate the last 2000 blocks assume because everyone's on the same page 2000 blocks ago that that transaction set was good and which means it takes you know a fraction of the time uh, for a new node to join the network that it would take for you know someone downloading the entire bitcoin chain from scratch this is something that I've I've always been interested in um, with uh, how other blockchains are constructed, and that is um, the use of newer math and cryptography to provide further uh, proofs or validity checks at each at each point um, at each step of the blockchain that give you a lot of benefits in a sense that like like you're removing the uh, connection between inputs and outputs through some math, which gives a lot of privacy, but also gives you a lot of speed up in terms of um, reducing the need to verify from scratch when verifying yeah. the blockchain total. So like right now, uh, what you do in Bitcoin is basically you get the entire UTXO set and then you have, if you would like to make sure that's good, you need to start from scratch and verify every single transaction that ever happened. Same thing with Ethereum. Yeah. To get to make sure that you get back to that UTXO set because the transition function doesn't take into it, doesn't doesn't provide that extra feature set of of validity. And I think a lot of like these zero knowledge proofs are then reducing the ability to have to start from scratch in a lot of ways, or at least give better checkpointing. And that's something that Memberwimble has done. And I, I'm I'm curious as to like what other kind of maybe I can restart this question and, and by explaining how, how I view these things. Um, like you get these benefits in a couple different places um, as you build a blockchain. One is going to be whatever signature scheme you do. And so like how you put together signatures, which attests to data. The next is how you um, create what, what could be considered a valid transaction and that how you 
gather a bunch of signatures to create some type of change um, from a user's perspective um, on the like global data of that blockchain network. And then you have validators or nodes which aggregate these things and validate them and put them onto the end of the chain. Uh, and, and so like at each point of these steps, you can introduce new technology to provide either privacy, efficiency, um, like validity, like th- things like this that make it easier to do. Uh, and all the different projects are doing it in different ways to try and like make theirs unique. Is that you think it's a good yeah, model yeah. for what you've done or how, how all this works? I, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of things there. Um, like, like, well, I think one of the best things personally about um, cryptocurrency itself is that it's kind of, it's brought cryptography itself into a more kind of a glamorous stage, which means there's been a lot more kind of advances in it than there would have been without cryptocurrency I there. Um, I, I, maybe I don't think a lot of Bitcoin maximalists will hate me saying this or hate to hear me say this, but Bitcoin kind of looks to me like, you know, Windows running Windows 95 these days compared to all the advances that have come since then. Obviously, it's, we're 10 years on uh, from or more than 10 years on from Bitcoin's launch. The technology will have changed. Um, obviously, because there's so much money wrapped up in Bitcoin, it's not as easy as most other pieces of software to change or just yeah. update or what have you. Um, and I very much see Mimblewimble or Grin and, and all of the kind of there's there's a few major projects now implementing Mimblewimble now. And I very much see this kind of as a another step in the evolution of technology as opposed to the be all and end all. So, I mean, even you can talk about the, the technologies and advances that have gone into to Mimble, into Grin or to implementation of Mimblewimble. But um, even those now are, are, you know, they're three or four year old technology choices based on technology from three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. We've, there's, there's already tons of, of talk and research about newer technologies, for instance, some BLS signatures, which, you know, they work on a, a different, different, um, they work on pairing base uh, curve cryptography, mm. which is a you know a bit newer and not as tested as as SETP and older curves. But if it were if it were there, are, we could imagine putting this together in such a way that you no longer no longer need to keep these kernels around. You, you should be able to aggregate you know all transactions in a block and provide one signature for all of them in one go, which has all sorts of good implications on you know privacy and scalability in the future. Um, there's something called RSA accumulators. And when you start combining this with some of the, you know, when we start to get into these fanciful conversations, it's almost like we're getting to the point where we don't actually need a chain anymore. We just need a block that moves every time, but can still be validated. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of, I'm not an expert in any of these kind of new technologies. And there's, there's to be honest, as far there's too much of them to keep up with for any, any one person. And certainly, um, personally someone who's a developer and not a mathematician but there's really a lot of exciting stuff and i very much see the work that we're doing now as a as part of that chain and you know i expect in five years we'll have more new technologies that are built on top of this and more you know other projects that you know build on the engineering we've done here so that's that's kind of the way i see it that's kind of like what what brings me to something i've been thinking about quite a bit lately is um the technology is not going to stop moving right we're going to keep yeah. Um, putting money into the development of applied cryptography and distributed consensus and so on and so forth, or digital scarcity, right? Or how we do digital scarcity. How does that, how does Grin or in any individual project who's done something unique and useful fit in over the long term? Is it like, what's the point? Um, because digital scarcity is only as good as the people who use it or, or like care about it for that matter. Well, Well, from Grin's perspective, I mean, Grin is different from a lot of other coins, as I said earlier, is that it, it's not a, a for-profit thing. Like the the 
the main purpose of the Grin project is to try to advance Mimblewimble technology, mm -hmm. provide a platform for this, you know, and move the technology on. Um, so I think, you know, from our perspective, that's I think that's fairly unique for what we're doing here. I mean, I mean, we're we're very happy to see other projects pick up a Mimblewimble. Like there's three major implementations that I think are noteworthy. We have Grin, we have a Beam, which has a different model, but it's still you know very respectable engineering going into that and trying different things that we're trying to see how, whether they work or whether they don't. Um, we have um, <clears throat> David is is working on um, on adding Mimblewimble into Litecoin as well, along with Charlie Dio, which I think is a another great initiative there. So so yeah, I'm I'm kind of happy with where there's we are. Also, there's also Monero has uh, Tari, Terry, however yeah. you say that, uh, which is sort of a, a, a side chain thing for uh, Monero that is, you know, has its own implementation of Mimblewimble. And yeah, it's, I, well, it's just launched its testnet just last okay, month. Yeah, I wasn't sure how far along that was. Yeah, so, so yeah. you know, we, we have four out there. So uh, I was wondering if really quick, this is there's no good way to transition to this. In November, there was some claim that uh, your privacy model is broken and that people can, law enforcement, for instance, could monitor transactions. You guys have responded to that, but I was wondering if maybe on our show you could also respond to what you think of that privacy attack. Maybe describe what the person did and why it doesn't matter. Sure. Um, so our privacy model is not broken because our privacy model had never claimed to to give this kind of privacy. But uh, with with all, you know, this is cryptocurrencies we're talking about. So hype quickly, uh, you know, gets the best of some coins. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Crazy. so <laughs> you know, when, when Mimblewimble was uh, announced and, uh, you know, Grin announced or whatever, just there were all these claims about all the privacy is going to provide. Um, but as far as, uh, like, it's actual privacy, the big privacy advantage here is, is um, the... Um, the amounts are hidden, uh, and we're still fairly confident that's the case unless um, someone somehow uh, finds a way to break SecP 256K1, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. Um, so, you know, we the amounts are hidden, uh, and the, um, the chain history is lost unless you've personally recorded it. Uh, but what this uh, so-called attack did was um, it just monitored the network um, for transactions being broadcast. Because the way Mimblewimble works is, you know, they they aggregate, they do a coin join, but they do a coin join like as they get new transa transactions, they can non-interactively just add in a new transaction, you know, just combine them together. So they have this mempool that just keeps combining transactions together uh, to create an even, you know, bigger, you know, just a, a bigger coin join transaction that eventually becomes the block. Um, well what this quote attacker did was just um, monitor the network for all those transactions and just record them. And something like 90 some percent of the transactions, um, Grin transactions were just broadcast plain as day, you know, just here's the inputs, here's the outputs. Uh, so they learned the links there, you know, the, the, the chain analysis type links where you can just follow the inputs to the outputs. Um, those were those are typically broadcast just you know transparently there's you know the amounts are hidden but we still see inputs and outputs um as uh grin grows um as it gets more usage uh we have this we use um this this transaction broadcast mechanism uh called dandelion plus plus which um which 
instead of just broadcasting your transaction when you create it, it actually sends it to one other peer who then passes it to one other peer. And, and they just kind of uh, quietly pass it around from one to another until one finally randomly decides just to broadcast it. Well, during that that stage where you, you just, you know, handing it off to one uh, neighboring peer, uh, they can actually aggregate other uh, what we call stem pool transactions, transactions that haven't been broadcast yet. Um, so they can actually get coin joined before anyone else on the network sees them, maybe with one or two other people. Um, but with Grin being young, that's not occurring yet. So um, for almost all transactions, they're just broadcast. They eventually get broadcast by themselves without being coin joined with any other. Um, so the links are still known to anyone running a full node who's monitoring the network. Does that make sense? So, yeah, yeah what, totally. what's the threshold for that? Like, do you have any type of metrics for when Grin gets big enough for that to start taking over and becoming more um, more useful? Um, no, no exact metrics. It all depends on number of nodes versus number of transactions. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also things we can do to improve that. We've, we've only just begun. We've focused mostly on minimalism at this point, just trying to get a working Mimblewimble protocol out there that scales well, that we aren't going to have any long-term de um, technical debt to deal with. And I think we've done a good job of that. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But, I mean, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we've done some, I mean, when that came up, I mean, the other goal of the grand project is to stay minimal, right? And there are ways that you could kind of artificially, so to speak, increase the anonymity set in order to provide less linkability, but that, you know, that involves technical debt. I mean, once you put something in, in, in like that in there, like you can create, you can create dummy outputs alongside each transaction if you want, but you can have a method whereby people have to pay a higher fee to include more dummy outputs. But you know, there, that, that comes with problems. Um, a lot of people argue dummy outputs are very easy to, to factor out. Um, in any case, and that comes with a lot of technical debt and it's not quite clear whether that would have a long-term benefit or long-term detraction, you know? So, so the, the idea right now is to keep it very minimal and more uh, keep an eye on what technologies are coming in. If any, you know, new insights happen that could allow us to address this differently. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's our approach. Like I'm, I'm very happy to stay minimal at this point. I think it's a reasonable perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of areas we could research aside from just dummy outputs. Like there's, you know, yeah. we could use payment channel hubs or something along those sorts. There's there's different avenues where people could go research and find some way. And I'm confident there are ways we can do it without, you know, without having to add some bloat to our chain or anything like that. Um, we just haven't yet gotten to implementing those where, you know, we're still focusing on building the foundations of money. People should not rely on Grin for anything that... Um, for, you know, if their privacy is necessary to, you know, save their lives or keep them out of prison or something like that, don't use Grin, don't use Monero, don't use any of them, use cash, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not there yet. Um, and, and it'll be a while till it gets there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's in much better shape than, than Bitcoin as far as privacy goes at a more, you know, and it's done more scalably, you know, that, that usually when you add privacy to a chain, it grows. Monero is like, I don't know how many times larger than Bitcoin per transaction. Um, but, you know, Grin is, you know, this this unique coin that actually, or Mimblewimble is this unique protocol that actually shrinks the chain by adding privacy. It's really cool in that aspect. Um, so, you know, we'll work on ways of, of adding more privacy eventually. Yeah. But 
for now, it gives us better than Bitcoin with, you know, far better scaling, which is important. Obviously, yeah, as I think seen, that conversation. Yeah, I think that conversation on um, how changes affect the scalability of a given blockchain uh, really, really um, are a function of where you add where you add those changes, right? So, like, I, right, what we're seeing over the past, you know, year or two is a lot of development in the in the signature schemes um, in cryptography of like kind of aggregating things in a lot of ways uh, that take the burden off what you're actually storing in the blockchain, which gives you a lot of scale and, and efficiency gains. Whereas um, before that, you saw a lot of stuff being added on top of it, uh, kind of the way Monero does stuff, um, it, or it previously yeah, did stuff, yeah. which which adds a lot of bloat for, for at the cost of privacy. And, and I think the, and the future is going to keep leading that way of what can we do um, before things get added into the blockchain that increase our privacy, efficiency, anonymity, security, so on and so forth. Or right, right, yeah, yeah. Like the the existing methods, like you mentioned, they for privacy, a lot of them would just like they would artificially grow their anonymity set. Um, yeah. you know, just like cover traffic kind of right. It's, it's, where, yeah, where, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've hit on Monero it. Monero takes like, that it's better to just let's not even have data at all. Like let's not give them that data. And so you start shrinking then um, instead of just trying to hide in, you know, hide in a, and a, you're seeing a like, of like things like taproot, right. And a lot of that, like the use of new signature systems like BLS and Schnorr are, are allowing for that for where the majority of the logic is going outside of the blockchain. Um, and the blockchain is being used more for um, just base proof, like root proof of whatever all the other stuff uh, between the parties who care are doing. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you're right. Grin, remember when was a prime example, like transactions are built completely outside of the blockchain. I can meet you in a dark alley somewhere and exchange a transaction there and create it there without even, you know, being near a node. Um, all all that the Mimblewimble blockchain stores is basically outputs and make sure that those outputs all add up. Mm -hmm. Yep, and and then we could go even farther, and we could go build a second layer on top of that. Like Lightning is the current Lightning um, uh, implementation wouldn't work directly on on Grin, but it can be adapted to work on Mimblewimble to work on Grin. Um, and so you could take you know transactions off chain entirely, just like Lightning is doing. Um, so yeah, the, we can keep removing more and more from the chain. You're right. It's, it's, yep. So one of the problems that a lot of these coins are having is, um, so for instance, in Bitcoin or Ethereum even, like Ethereum, uh, I'm trying to say minor central, I'm trying to say what does the minor minor centralization um, look like with regard to Grin? Um, meaning that uh, like with like three or four phone calls, you could probably reverse a transaction in Ethereum. Of course, they probably won't happen because the people in Ethereum who are you, you would call wouldn't be interested in doing that for you but you know i'm i'm kind of curious what proof of work algorithm you guys are using how you know asic resistant you are or if you're even taking that approach or um you know what is what is your philosophy on that okay sure well i mean i can give you an, an overview of our approach towards mining um well mo i mean all of the, the thinking behind this is led by by john trump who's um he, he's created um, an algorithm which is a very kind of memory hard proof or kind of memory intensive proof rather um, called uh, cuckoo cycle 
Um, I, I probably won't go all into the details of it now, other than to say that it is, like I say, it's very memory uh, kind of resource intensive. So you'd be looking kind of a, if you're mining on a GPU, for instance, you'd be looking at, you know, needing a minimum of, a, of okay, maybe about that, but like, you know, in several gigs in order to mine, um, you know, depending on what version of the algorithm is, it, it's kind of a flexible algorithm is that you can, you can have graph sizes at different sizes. So I can either be searching through, you know, two to the 32 or two to 33 or 34. And, you know, Grin will accept um, any solution kind of at higher, kind of higher, higher memory usages. But as we were, um, so the ethos towards proof of work and ASIC resistant or allowing GPUs to mine is for the first two years, at least we've taken a very, um, a, we're trying to make it as fair as possible. So, and to us, that means when you first launch a coin, you want to be able to have as many people with as many GPUs, you know, being able to mine it. So you try and create a fair playing ground that way. At the same time, you kind of need to accept the fact that ASICs are going to be coming. And you want to, for that reason, you want to try to encourage the ASICs that do come to be as open as possible and as available as possible. So you don't end up in a situation where, you know, one company has the fastest solver uh, hardware, and they're not sharing that with anybody. Well, isn't the so idea that much... basically just to make the most efficient ASIC a GPU? Sorry, say that again. Isn't the idea that is it's like I mean this is I guess this is a uh, from what I understand Progpal's whole uh, idea is in order to combat or make things quote unquote ASIC resistant, like because ASICs can always be made for any given algorithm. The goal is yeah. to make the the most efficient ASIC for an algorithm be mapped basically to a GPU. Yeah, but then does that work? Like, oh, I don't know, but, we I mean, have no proof that works. Um, so far, everything that has made claims like that has, that's the goal, right? Has, yeah, reduce yeah, reduce the speed. Yeah, um, and yeah. I'm interested to see how ProgPow turns out. Um, but so far, all of the experiments have failed. Um, ASICs eventually pop up for every algorithm. And so um, <clears throat> once uh, John and, and company realized that, you know, this is you know, ASIC res resistance is futile, they, uh, they changed it a bit and they made two different, two different variants of Cuckoo Cycle. Um, an ASIC resistant, you know, quote, ASIC resistant algorithm. And that's what's, uh, what they're using for the first two years. And we tweak it every six months or John does, um, just to make sure that no one had somehow developed some ASIC for it. Um, and yeah, so it's tweaked every six months for the first two years. Uh, and it, we slowly taper it off, uh, and are eventually replacing it with some, another variant, uh, called Cuckoo 2 that is supposed to be more, uh, ASIC friendly, uh, so that, you know, we can slowly onboard ASICs. Uh, and by making it, quote, ASIC friendly, hopefully um, it doesn't give any one uh, producer a significant advantage, a significant uh, performance advantage over any other so that they don't, you know, mine by themselves and, and get, you know, 2x, 3x efficiency gains. And Interesting approach. All the um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see how this plays out so far. Uh, there have been several companies claim that uh, they're going to create an ASIC for Grin. Uh, one of them dropped out early, uh, you know, maybe three or four months after uh, collecting orders. Uh, one is supposed to deliver this month, so hopefully uh, we'll see if they come out and um, we'll see if any other competitors show up 
with an A6. So that's that's the idea anyways, is, is to slowly taper towards an ASIC friendly algorithm that doesn't that shouldn't give any producer uh, an unfair advantage. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say to the idea of not using proof of work? Um, it, it's an interesting field of, of, of research at the moment, like proof of stake on heaven. There are always the experiments there. Um, I, I don't think anyone has, has proved convincingly. I, I know proof of work is very wasteful. It's energy intensive, but I, I honestly believe it is the best thing we have and the fairest thing, or at least the potential to be used the most fairly out of anything we have. At yeah. The by fair. So, you mean the participants, um, ability to uh yes. add resources and participate at will and leave at will yes it, it doesn't rely on them already having a stake in the chain so to speak right yeah, yeah. If, if someone takes over 51 percent of the 51 percent stake in the chain um they don't have to ever sell right they can continue to hold those um and so you know there's there's no way you can force them to give you future coins or to sell you future coins Whereas with proof of work, you can just buy more GPUs, buy more hardware, yep. more resources, whatever to it. Um, That's so another kind of stake, some would argue. And you know, there's there's other problems with proof of work other than just that. It's also adds a synchrony uh, bound to whatever you're doing. So you're going to have to produce blocks, or you have to have a difficulty, and that's going to produce like depending on what kind of hash powers in the system, um, the frequency in which things can get published. It doesn't allow for some more on-demand finality like classical protocols do. So there's there's downsides other than just the... Uh, uh, absolutely. Know. Like, it, a proof of work is kind of, the, I think it's the least worst option we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's... And that's basically just because, I mean, my, and this is also my perspective, where things currently stand in terms of battle-tested things, uh, proof yeah. of work is winning. Uh, until yeah. something has proven itself... Um, in an open net, it's it's very difficult to make that change. <laughs> yes, Colin, we know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, like you need you need something in a chain for the consensus network to demonstrably verify that an amount of time has passed since the last block, so that no one can go back and rewrite it. Right now, proof of work is kind of the only thing we have that's, as you say, tried and tested and provides that as well as possible. In terms of membership, like yeah. inclusion, right? Yeah, and that's the main yeah. thing yeah. I think involved with all of this. Mechanism at the end of the day is really what it actually boils down to. Yeah. Well, great. So, like, um, I want to know, like, we have a little bit of time left here. Uh, I want to know kind of what's next for for Grin. Like, what's on the like kind of immediate horizon where things are going and what you see kind of uh, changing over the next over the next year. Yeah, over the next year, I mean, like like the first year of, of Grin's existence, um, it's it's very much about getting the the foundation. Uh, right at this point, you know, tightening up the code. Um, a lot of the work, like I, I said earlier, I do I mostly focus on the wallet at the moment. Um, and it's about, you know, we don't have a nice GUI wallet, but I think we have a very good API now and we encourage the community to build, build your own wallets on top of our API. So it's really about trying to, you know, improve what's there. Um, we, we add, you know, kind of new features as and when they come up and when they're appropriate, but it's really kind of about getting the engineering right and getting the foundation there to, you know, to let the community take this and run with it. Um, so, I mean, some examples of the things we have in there, like we, we've, we've just added, uh, the ability to, to create transactions via Tor, um, in our last release, which is, a, I think is a huge step forward in terms of usability. Um, 
will be looking at ways of, of allowing offline transactions because, as, as I said earlier, transactions are interactive, um, which makes it difficult to do it offline or into a cold storage wallet. So we'll, we'll be looking at solutions there. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a, it's, it's very, very early days in this coins development. There's still tons and tons of work to do. Um, and we're looking forward to it and also encourage anybody who's, you know, in any way interested in this, um, whether you're a developer or designer or, you know, a thinker, math, mathematically inclined to come and have a look and contribute wherever and, you know, wherever you can. David, you have any Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the, the biggest priority is, uh, you spoke hit on is, is kind of right now, most, uh, most exchanges and, and pools and stuff, they only implement HTTP or HTTPS transactions, which are really frustrating for end users because um, in order to receive uh, via HTTP, you have to have, you have to forward your port on your router, right? And for everyday yeah. users, that's not a, that's not a reasonable approach. So Tor is, was our most recent uh, initiative to, to, you know, move away from that where Tor automatically does that. You don't need, you know, all that nat hole punching is all done for you with Tor. So all you have is the address instead, instead of sending your IP to someone and saying, hey, I send it on this port to my, you know, public IP here. Uh, we have Tor, which just gives an address and it feels a lot more like Bitcoin. You still have to be online, um, but, you know, the user doesn't have to do all this complicated configuration and you, you still have an address you can give. Uh, and you can use it for different signatures and stuff like payment proofs, which uh, was also just uh, implemented. Uh, so yeah, it's moving away from HTTP now with hopefully an offline uh, mechanism as well. So the user can, um, they can still like, you don't have to have both parties online at the same time. They can sort of finish their part as they come online. Um, and then uh, I think on the node side, uh, we're focusing more on uh, improving our sync process. Right now, uh, East Bloom mentioned earlier in the episode that for the, the fast sync, we have this transaction hash set, which is really all the UTXOs and kernels. And just one peer gives you that. Uh, so it's if you get a slow peer or an unreliable peer, it could take a long time to sync, uh, or longer than it should anyways. So we're finding ways to, to break that up, to parallelize, parallelize that, and to... Uh, you know, just download a little piece from each user and, and validate as you get it and hopefully uh, sync quite a bit faster. Uh, and then also, it won't be implemented this year, but we're we're taking a look at different signature schemes and uh, ways of aggregating signatures or um, uh, like BLS and stuff. Or we're also looking at, at ways of adding privacy. Should we deploy some form of decoys or not? Should we, you know, find other, or, you know, are there other ways of, of breaking that linkability that we get when we broadcast transactions? Can we make improvements to our Dandelion protocol to make sure that more aggregation occurs uh, before being, before each transaction is broadcast? So there's, you know, there's a few different initiatives we're looking at on the node side. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, obviously, where do people go to learn more and uh, help contribute? Absolutely. Um, sorry, one second. Okay, right. So, sorry. Um, our main so our main site um, is easy enough to find. It it's uh, grin.mw, and that should take you right to the the main site. Um, 
and from there you should be able to find links to our our keybase channels the github project itself um if you're there's a forum as well um that's linked from there so most of the conversation i would say these days would happen in our in our keybase channels um with um some more of it maybe a bit less going on in the on the forums announcements and such and some kind of longer term topics um, we do. We did have a Gitter channel to use, but it's actually being used less and less these days in favor of the Keybase. So that, those, that would be the main <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and you've definitely helped me understand uh, the concepts and, the, and, the, and like how this is all constructed together. Yeah. Thanks very much for having us. Appreciate it.